The IMF basically provides loans to third world countries. They are essentially the world's accountant. And they will give you a loan even if you don't want it. And so this kind of hurts them is that we actually need countries to repay their debts. So they're basically kind of sending a warning shot to El Salvador. If you decide to do this, we're not going to give you loans. Welcome to Bitcoin Basics with your hosts, Faris and Gordon. Visit bitcoinbasics.help if you need help buying and securing your Bitcoin. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome to another Bitcoin Basics podcast with your host, me, Gordon, and I have Faris with me as well. Before we get started, our proof recording is on the 3rd of April, 3rd of August, sorry, 2021. The price of Bitcoin is $39,040 US. The current block height is 693941 on the Bitcoin blockchain, and the SAT per dollar, Satoshi's per dollar, is 2,561. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, we've referenced this in previous episodes, but I'll put it in the description of the show notes. So today, Faris, as listeners may be aware from the title, the IMF is not happy with Bitcoin. They've stated that Bitcoin is an opportunity to transact anonymously. Everyone knows that only criminals and bad people use Bitcoin, including terrorists and uh, those who wish to evade taxes. What's this all about? Yeah, so I read through the original article, the blog post, and I ended up actually writing, we'll call it a rebuttal, but um, <laughs> the original article by the IMF is actually void of any, let's say, facts and it's literal with the inaccuracies. Um, so we'll link my rebuttal as well. Um, yeah, so misunderstanding or misinterpretation or you know, misinformation, number one, is Bitcoin is an opportunity to transact anonymously. We've discussed the privacy of Bitcoin in this show. Bitcoin was never intended to be used privately. Uh, wallets where the addresses that um, you see transactions of Bitcoins from one person to another are not private, they're not anonymous, they're pseudonymous. Um, you know, we don't want to go into too much detail here, but I mean, there, there are um, coins out there like Monero and Zcash who their selling point was they are private and anonymous because Bitcoin couldn't provide that. Um, it is getting harder and harder to purchase Bitcoin anonymously. Um, you almost all exchanges these days require you to go through KYC AML, where it's like setting up a bank account. Um, it is getting harder to buy Bitcoin with your credit card now without getting a call from your bank. Um, only two um, websites that we're familiar with, local Bitcoins and HODL HODL, can let you buy Bitcoin without setting up an account. But even then, you're providing credit card details or bank account details. So the only way to get Bitcoins privately is um, from someone else basically giving them to you and you handing them cash, um, which basically means that what is private these days is cash um, issued by central banks. That is the only really private way of transferring wealth. And you've got a question, Gordon. The only way nowadays to receive Bitcoin privately and anonymously is to mine Bitcoin. That's pretty much the only thing left. Yeah. And... Um, this thing by the IMF, it's, we've had another thing come out this week. The infrastructure bill in the US, a trillion dollar infrastructure bill, 
is actually has a section in there where they want anyone involved in any cryptocurrency to basically have to pay for tax. That includes miners. And it's actually logistically impossible because um, what they're asking for are details that hardware companies do not have, some wallet providers do not have. So we're finding governments are afraid of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies do not understand what's going on. And like this article, we I went through in detail and just go, okay, you really have a very, very limited, almost nil understanding of what Bitcoin really is. Did you know we provide a help desk at bitcoinbasics.help? Do you need help buying Bitcoin on an exchange or transferring your Satoshis to a Bitcoin wallet? Perhaps you need assistance with setting up a desktop, mobile or hardware wallet. Is your security hygiene up to date? We provide individual, one-on-one -on -one support, regardless of your understanding of Bitcoin, size of investment, or level of technical ability. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. So what you're saying, Faris, is a centralized monetary system is afraid of a decentralized monetary system? Well, they don't even mention the word decentralized. Um, they mention, so one of the things they mention, and I'm quoting here, Crypto assets are unlikely to catch on in countries with stable inflation and exchange rates and credible institutions. So with this, they're basically saying, yeah, countries like uh, El Salvador, which is adopting Bitcoin, um, countries in Venezuela, where they are you know, going through hyperinflation or unstable currencies, they'll use cryptocurrencies, but the rest of us won't because we have stable inflation and exchange rates and we have credible institutions. They're referring to banking institutions. Now, that is just not the case. Um, if we look at um, what's happened with inflation just in the last 12 months only, so the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index has gone up by 50%. Now, that's tracking over 20 commodities. That includes energy, metals, grain. So everything that we use, eat, consume on a daily basis has gone up by 50% in 12 months. Now, that affects your purchasing power, which means the dollars that they're giving you are worth far less. Um, if the other way of comparing ex um, exchange rates is from one country to another, well, um, they're always changing. I mean, it doesn't just take an event like Brexit um, or what we saw happen with the Swiss National Bank a few years ago, where current, that currency moved 40% a day or something. Um, currencies between countries are always changing. So if you wanted to say, well, what is a common denominator to compare sovereign currencies, um, that would be gold. And currencies have dropped against, and the G8 currencies have dropped against gold by 50% in the last decade. So they're not stable inflation. They're not stable exchange rates. And the institutions are not stable. And in this article that we'll link, um, since 2008 financial crisis, big, credible banks, and if you can't see me, I'm air quoting here, credible banks like Goldman Sachs have been fined almost half a trillion dollars for money laundering and doing the things that they're accusing Bitcoin of doing, half a trillion dollars in 10 years. Um, so it's, yeah, uh, you kind of looking at this, you'll go, where are you guys getting your facts from? Because A, no one here actually did a fact check in this article. Yeah, well, HSBC got fined, what, $2 billion for money laundering with the Mexican cartels. So pot calling the cattle black, but are we really surprised that they're kind of backed in the corner and they're coming out swinging? 
Um, of course, when they talk about crypto asset, Ferris, and I know this may be obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, you can't compare Bitcoin with Dogecoin, for example. You know, when the IMF says, you know, for example, and I quote, a crypto asset might catch on for a vehicle for unbanked people to make payments, but not to store value. It would be immediately exchanged into real currency upon receipt. I agree. If you're using random coin X, that's a horrible way to store your value. So, of course, we really should compare apples with apples. Talk about Bitcoin or talk about other cryptocurrencies. Well, yeah, in, in the uh, article that I wrote, the very first point that I'll make is there is no cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. Bitcoin stands on its own. Um, everything else is speculative and Bitcoin has properties that these other coins simply do not have. Um, and here, this one really amazes me that they wrote this. It would, it would be immediately exchanged into real currency upon receipt. So A, what makes their currency real? There is no intrinsic value in any currencies. We have not been on the gold standard. This is the first time every sovereign nation in the world has been off the gold standard in history. So when they say real currency, it's just, okay, not only do you not understand Bitcoin, you actually don't understand currencies now. And this point has been disproven by Gresham's law, where you will keep the sound money and spend the cheap money. So what you think will go down in value, you're going to sell. And we saw this in the early days of Bitcoin, like 10 years ago, where you had people going around explaining Bitcoin to people and they'd send, they'd show you how to set up a wallet and send you hundred Bitcoins. Cause back then it was, you know, less than 50 cents Bitcoin. Well, they're regretting that now, you know, the guy who spent 20,000 Bitcoins on a pizza, he's regretting that. So if you buy Bitcoin now, you're only really spending them for big asset purchases, like a house or something. So yeah, they're disproving their own point here um, where, your fiat currency is designed to depreciate in value. So you actually want to get rid of that first. Don't worry, Faris. I'm pretty sure Laszlo, he was the guy who bought the pizza for 10,000 Bitcoins. Probably had a million Bitcoins or something like that. So uh, he, probably, uh, he probably regrets it, but I'm sure, uh, I'm sure he's doing okay. So let's continue with the IMF FUD and complete nonsense. Um, of course, uh, we could say best case is they're completely ignorant, but uh, worst case, uh, perhaps not. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Yeah, so from a government point of view, like El Salvador or there's rumors going around that Nigeria is the next one to... Um, use Bitcoin as legal tender. And I quote from the article here, government revenues would be exposed to exchange risk if taxes were quoted in advance in a crypto asset while expenditures remain mostly in the local currency or vice versa. Is that likely? Are you going to see a dual currency system? How do you think that's going to affect government expenditure? Um, look, you may, but I don't see what the harm is. You're basically developing a separate ecosystem. And part, what you want to understand about the IMF, and this is actually where I did my postgraduate studies, and I did some work in understanding the World Bank, the IMF, and their loan structures. So the IMF basically provides loans to third world countries. They are essentially the world's accountant, and they will give you a loan even if you don't want it. And so this kind of hurts them is that we actually need countries to repay their debts. So they're basically kind of sending a warning shot to El Salvador. If you decide to do this, we're not going to give you loans. 
um, essentially they kind of basically indicated that pretty strongly. Um, so this is the IMF basically receives loans in US dollars. And this is why they're seeing Bitcoin as a threat because it's diminishing the role of the US dollar globally, um, the petrodollar as well, we're seeing as um, being uh, affected. So this has big macroeconomic implications where the US dollar is no longer the global reserve currency. So that's what they're basically saying here is that, yeah, we we see a threat to the US dollar, so don't do it. Um, but yeah, I uh, other countries like I think Malta and out with El Salvador, they basically said if you invest, I can't remember if it was three or five Bitcoins in El Salvador, you automatically get citizenship and there's no capital gains tax on it. So they're saying, okay, we do see a commercial opportunity here where instead of us banning Bitcoin, like, and that's what they did, you know, in China, they banned the miners and the miners just went overseas, which actually ended up being very beneficial to the Bitcoin network. They're saying, okay, let's let's make this a business opportunity. And um, we are, you know, the last 12 months, we've seen huge increases in the, the in business industry related around Bitcoin from um, hedge funds getting in to um, financing around Bitcoin, where you could basically provide your Bitcoins as collateral for a loan to get a home loan. So we're seeing this ecosystem grow and grow and governments are threatened by it. So they'll come up with these threats or um, scare mongering stories, just basically say, okay, we're trying to stop this thing. Yeah, I mean, shock horror. It's like the taxi industry complaining about Uber and how unsafe it would be. It's like, yeah, exactly. well, they threaten your business. Uh, we could go on uh, at a long rant about the IMF, and uh, but we won't. I like how they concentrate on the volatility of Bitcoin, which it is, uh, of course, but they only quote volatility in the negative way. Like if a country actually got in to Bitcoin when it was like 10,000, um, they'd probably be doing quite well at the moment. But of course, that's mm. never, ever mentioned. And the other piece of FUD, which they and everyone mentioned, including our favorite Elon Musk, is the environmental impact of Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin mining is killing babies. It's killing the world. We're all going to die because of Bitcoin mining. El Salvador has an awesome rebuttal to that. They're going to use geothermal elect, uh, energy with their volcanoes to mine Bitcoin. So you can't get better than that to uh, basically, yeah, well, not only that, so my frustration with this argument is when people say Bitcoin uses too much electricity, well, compared to what? Because there is no other service out there that is providing, this is actually mentioned in this IMF blog, there is no service providing a store of value in a currency to the 2 billion unbanked adults in the world, because half of the world's adult population do not have access to a bank. Bitcoin fixes that. So when you're saying Bitcoin uses too much electricity, well, what service provides a banking solution to every adult that has a mobile phone? None. Now, if you actually want, okay, so Bitcoin is a currency in a store of value, then Bitcoin uses one fifth of the electricity that gold and all banks around the world use. So that's one fifth of what they do. And Bitcoin has a potential to reach every adult population, whereas they don't. I don't think it was one fifth. I, I, I will link the article in the show notes that, well, maybe, okay. So I was comparing the US dollar. Uh, the US Bitcoin actually used like 0.9% of the energy of the US dollar. 
Okay. The one that I found is not the US dollar. It's the how many um, banking services. So like cards, ATMs, actual banks. So not the currency, but um, merchant services and gold energy itself. But even with that, you're not looking at, well, to transport gold. I mean, you have to do it on a plane. You have to do it on trucks. That's using greenhouse gas emissions. Oh. You're not using them to transport Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. Gold, gold would use an enormous amount of energy. Okay. So what about during this current crisis? Um, we won't go into that, but in, in terms of a country, you know, like the US, for example, uh, you've got unemployment, you've got small businesses failing, da, da, da. they're printing money like it's going out of fashion. Call that quantitative easing, call that um, theft um, of, you know, inflation tax, whatever you want to call it. What about a country like El Salvador that during this crisis, they had Bitcoin instead of uh, printing their own, uh, inflating their own local currency? Um, well, it actually proves beneficial. So what happened when 2008 financial crisis broke out? And again, this is what I find hilarious about these credible institutions that they refer to. So these banks basically got greedy, over leveraged, sold products that they knew were going to fail. And when the financial system came crashing down, they were at fault. Not, not one single person went to prison. Not only that, the the things that they were selling that caused the problem, well, the taxpayers ended up paying for their bonuses. So they got bailed out by the government, which is a taxpayer. And in that, they actually paid them the bonuses for causing the problem. So this is what I find hilarious about when they say we have credible institutions. Um, anyways, as a response to that, what happened was every country around the world did what's called a race to the bottom, where they tried to devalue their currency against everyone else's. The reason you do that is it makes your um, revenue from your exports greater. So if your currency is less than whoever you're selling your products to, when your money comes back, revenue is higher. But when everyone was doing it, it did not make a difference. So quantitative easing only works when one country is doing it. And this was the case in Japan. But if everyone's doing it, it doesn't make a difference. It becomes a zero-sum game. Um, it was around this period that Hungary, from memory, actually managed to uncover some Bitcoins from a crime syndicate, and it was enough for them to pay off 25% of their national debt. And I think that's when countries started to go, oh, there is a plan B, where there is another solution other than this, our sovereign currencies, which are losing value and are designed to lose value. So I think we will start to see governments go, we don't need the US dollar, which is losing value. We don't need gold, which um, in the last year has basically stayed the same. Plan B, Bitcoin, um, sounds like a good option to us. And there's, I mean, we can go into that for several reasons, but we are starting to see some countries basically say it is now part of our sovereign wealth fund to buy Bitcoin. Yeah, it's kind of like, and I think this is a good example, the game of Monopoly. So if one player cheats or whoever is a banker cheats by, you know, they run out of money or they simply write, you know, more money on a card and gives themselves more money, that works and they can win the game. But if everyone's doing it, then no one's going to win because you're just inflating it into infinity and the price of everything has gone up at the same. So everyone's cheating at the same time. So uh, it doesn't the work. macro. Look, the macroeconomic case for Bitcoin right now could not be stronger. Right. So 
it's fascinating, I think, with these countries taking on Bitcoin as their na- national uh, sovereign currency and legal tender. Do you think from a practical point of view, how is that going to work for the daily El Salvadorian um, when they're shopping, when they're trying to save, when they're purchasing goods and services, when they're paying tax? How's that going to affect them? I think it would just be what we said before. It'd be like Gresham's Law. They'll probably just hold on to it and then they'll just use the local dollar um, for everyday goods and services. Um, one thing which I don't think is a good idea is El Salvador mentioned it was going to give every citizen, I think, $30 worth of Bitcoin. The reason I don't like that is because you're not educating them how to use it, um, you know, how to use a wallet. Um, so it's anything that you give away for free is usually unappreciated. The value is unappreciated. So that's the one thing I disagree with that I think they won't appreciate it. You'll probably just, a lot of that will just get lost because they don't know what they're doing with it. It's amazing. What amazing times we live in. I never thought a couple of years ago, a government would be airdropping Bitcoin to its citizens. <laughs> I mean, we live in, 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 in amazing times. It's not some random Ethereum token. It's Bitcoin. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Ferris. I know you I know you could go on about it, but do you have any final thoughts or concluding statements? And uh, no, if you want to read more about this, I'll link, I'll link my article to it. And um, yeah, like I said, this one kind of triggered me because this is my history is uh, macroeconomics and especially IMF and World Bank where I cut my teeth in my post-grad studies and did some volunteer work with NGOs. So I, I, it did frustrate me reading this. Oh, yeah. Um, well, just lastly, I mean, it, it's obvious that Western countries aren't going to adopt Bitcoin. There's no way that, you know, the US mm. is going to adopt Bitcoin, well, anytime soon. Um, and and it, it's no sort of coincidence that these struggling countries and, and countries like El Salvador and maybe Nigeria and other South American and African countries are going to adopt it. Are we going to see in maybe five or 10 years sort of some sort of passive um, economic war between countries' national fiat and countries on the Bitcoin standard? That's a good question. Look, we are overdue for reset. So um, we tend to go through a financial reset about every 60 to 80 years. Uh, 2008 was the reset we should have had, and they screwed that up pretty royally. Um, and finance plays such a crucial role in everyone's life. And what we've seen since COVID, since 2008, is what's referred to as a K-recovery, where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And if we go back 100 years, we'll see um, we had world war and we had um, inequality, we had revolutions. And that's what we're starting to see now. Um, I mean, all the subculture movements that we're seeing at the moment, Black Lives Matter, the Me Too culture, they are crucial, but they're also part of a larger picture taking place. And that is the suppression and oppression of um, people's financial opportunities. And that's just, it is just getting worse with what I mentioned before, with commodities getting more expensive, equities getting more expensive. Real estate is ridiculously expensive around the world. So you are financially suppressing people. and that's where it does lead to revolution. Well, it's going to be fascinating. As, as you said, like that gap between rich and poor is getting uh, wider and wider. It's going to be fascinating. The poor or middle class of Western countries looking at some of these countries that are taking on Bitcoin and who knows if the price of Bitcoin goes through the moon, um, you may see uh, a lot of these citizens, their, their daily lives um, 
being yeah. drastically improved. So, uh, and I mean, look, we did see countries basically say like El Salvador and Malta saying, if you want to move here with your Bitcoins, you get free citizenship. Well, you know, coincidentally, we had this virus come up, which stopped people from moving overseas, <laughs> keeping, right. keeping taxes where they're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Coincidence. Um, I think we'll leave it there before we get into too much trouble. But um, yeah, fascinating, Faris. And we'll link all that information into the uh, show notes, the description of the podcast. Oh, thank you, everyone, for listening in. And hopefully we didn't go too much off the spectrum here. Um, please subscribe and share to our podcast. And again, if you have any questions, um, we can answer them on air. Just go to bitcoinbasics.help. And you'll see the little microphone ask button and you can post a question about anything related to Bitcoin and we will do our best to answer it on air. Thank you for listening, everyone. Excellent. Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. Disclaimer. Any content provided by CoinCompass is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit coincompass.com for more information and please contact us.